the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us for the, on, the, on the issue of mass shootings in America. Let's listen. An attack upon our nation and a crime against all of humanity. We are outraged and sickened by this monstrous evil, the cruelty, the hatred, the malice, the bloodshed, and the terror. Our hearts are shattered for every family whose parents children, husbands, and wives were ripped from their arms and their lives. America weeps for the fallen. We are a loving nation, and our children are entitled to grow up in a just, peaceful, and loving society. Together, we lock arms to shoulder the grief. We ask God in heaven to ease the anguish of those who suffer, and we vow to act with urgent Resolve. I want to thank the many law enforcement personnel who responded to these atrocities with the extraordinary grace and courage of American heroes. I have spoken with Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, as well as Mayor DeMargo of El Paso, Texas, and Mayor Nan Whaley of Dayton, Ohio, to express our profound sadness and unfailing support. Today, we also send the condolences of our nation to President Obrador of Mexico and all the people of Mexico for the loss of their citizens in the El Paso shooting. Terrible, terrible thing. I have also been in close contact with Attorney General Barr, and FBI Director Ray, Federal authorities are on the ground, and I have directed them to provide any and all assistance required, whatever 
is needed. The shooter in El Paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. We have asked the FBI to identify all further resources they need to investigate and disrupt hate crimes and domestic terrorism, whatever they need. We must recognize that the Internet has provided a dangerous avenue to radicalize, disturb minds, and perform demented acts. We must shine light on the dark recesses of the Internet and stop mass murders before they start. The Internet, likewise, is used for human trafficking, illegal drug distribution, and so many other heinous crimes. The perils of the Internet and social media cannot be ignored, and they will not be ignored. In the two decades since Columbine, our nation has watched with rising horror and dread as one mass shooting has followed another over and over again, decade after decade. We cannot allow ourselves to feel powerless. We can and will stop this evil contagion. In that task, we must honor the sacred memory of those we have lost by acting as one people. Open wounds cannot heal if we are divided. We must seek real bipartisan solutions. We have to do that in a bipartisan manner that will truly make America safer and better for all. First, we must do a better job of identifying and acting on early warning signs. I am directing the Department of Justice to work in partisan partnership with local, state, and federal agencies, as well as social media companies to develop tools that can detect mass shooters before they strike. As an example, the monster in the Parkland High School in Florida had many red flags against him, and yet nobody took decisive action. Nobody did anything. Why not? Second, we must stop the glorification of violence in our society. This includes the gruesome and grisly video games that are now commonplace. It is too easy today for troubled youth to surround themselves with a culture that celebrates violence. We must stop or substantially reduce this, and it has to begin immediately. Cultural change is hard, but each of us can choose to build a culture that celebrates the inherent worth and dignity of every human life. That's what we have to do. Third, we must reform our mental health laws to better identify mentally disturbed individuals who may commit acts of violence and make sure those people not only get treatment, but when necessary, involuntary confinement. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. Fourth, we must make sure that those judged to pose a grave risk to public safety do not have access to firearms, and that if they do, those firearms can be taken through rapid due process. 
That is why I have called for red flag laws, also known as extreme risk protection orders. Today, I'm also directing the Department of Justice to propose legislation ensuring that those who commit hate crimes and mass murders face the death penalty and that this capital punishment be delivered quickly, decisively, and without years of needless delay. These are just a few of the areas of cooperation that we can pursue. I am open and ready to listen and discuss all ideas that will actually work and make a very big difference. Republicans and Democrats have proven that we can join together in a bipartisan fashion to address this plague. Last year, we enacted the Stop School Violence and Fix NICS Acts into law, providing grants to improve school safety and strengthening critical background checks for firearm purchases. At my direction, the Department of Justice banned bump stocks. Last year, we prosecuted a record number of firearms offenses. But there is so much more that we have to do. Now is the time to set destructive partisanship aside, so destructive, and find the courage to answer hatred with unity, devotion, and love. Our future is in our control. America will rise to the challenge. We will always have and we always will win. The choice is ours and ours alone. It is not up to mentally ill monsters. It is up to us. If we are able to pass great legislation after all of these years, we will ensure that those who were attacked will not have died in vain. May God bless the memory of those who perished in Toledo. May God protect them. May God protect all of those from Texas to Ohio. May God bless the victims and their families. May God bless America. Thank you very much. Thank you. See if he takes any questions there. Clearly not there from the White House. In a forceful speech, you heard the president expressing disdain for the evil attacks. That All right, have left that's um, sickened and outraged. That's the president of the United States. Um, it should be noted at the very end there. That I don't know why there seems to be such a difficulty with um, locations here. President Trump mistakenly said Toledo instead of Dayton. Uh, just on the heels of yesterday, Joe Biden expressing condolences to the people of Houston and Michigan. I, I don't get it. Uh, there's two cities involved. It's El Paso and it's Dayton. And uh, I don't know why it's so hard for politicians to, uh, to, to, to know that. But that's what happened. All right. More importantly than the, the end of that, the president's misstatement, was the president's acknowledgement of many of the things that we talked about in our first hour in the monologue that I did. It was really an hour-long monologue. He talked about the mental health of a lot of individuals, and he talked about social media. Social media and the Internet just create more and more of these copycats who see the fame or infamy that others be, excuse me, before them have gotten, and they themselves decide their turn. Yeah, it's a very, very dangerous thing. Social media, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. All right? I'm not an evangelical or an evangelist or any other 
uh, type of turmoil. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and scream what satanic and what isn't, but I truly believe that social media is evil. It just is. I, I said this years and years and years ago when MySpace came out, even before Facebook, and I vowed that I would never get hooked into these things. I failed, because I am. And I like them for certain things. It's obviously not evil to use Facebook to connect with old high school buddies. It's not evil to have Facebook to um, you know share your comings and goings with friends and family and, and whatever. If you want to say, well, we just had the best dinner at this restaurant, highly recommend it. There are a lot of great uses for it that are not evil, but the evil intentions of so many uh, when it comes to uh, social media, it, it, uh, it does lead to this. It does lead to a lot of very dangerous people getting very dangerous ideas and giving them the uh, reasons to act on them. So, all right, a lot of ground to cover there. And before, we're going to take a time out now. And on the other side of that, I want to talk more about the white nationalist um, element of the El Paso shooting. And then we will talk about the uh, elements, the political elements of the Dayton shooting as well. A lot of politicians are trying to score a lot of points off of this. Virtually all of them are Democrats. That's a problem. I don't hear anybody gloating on the right about the Elizabeth Warren, Warren far-left socialist tendencies of the Dayton shooter. But I sure hear everybody trying to blame Donald Trump for the white nationalist tendencies of the El Paso shooter. So we're going to discuss that from a, uh, from a uh, political point of view and also from a personal point of view as it pertains to all of our races. We'll talk about that next right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Now heard through downtown, through greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. All right, 1025, the Bob France Authority continues. I want to hit this part now um, that is not going to be a popular opinion, all right? There is an obvious white supremacy component to the diatribe uh, expressed by the El Paso killer, and I have not used his name, and I will not, and I have not used the name of the uh, Dayton killer either. Uh, the president was right to point this out. The president was right to call out uh, white supremacy and white nationalism by name. And there was that in the El Paso shooting. There's no question about it. And I would never in a million years defend it. So I won't now. But what I will do is provide some context as to what can lead these white supremacist idiots to carrying out acts of violence. All throughout this country, particularly in political circles, but in social circles too, social justice circles to be precise, college campuses, workplace environments, being white is being demonized. Being white is, is, is a bad thing. We are blamed for everything from our our the type of house we live to where we live to the kind of car we drive white privilege is what they call it and if you don't acknowledge your white privilege and commit to giving back to those who don't have, have that privilege then you're evil you're bad white masculinity in in, in particular 
The white male is to blame for everything, all of the problems in this country, and especially all of the problems that are suffered by people who are not white males. Straight white males are the problem. They have all of the control over everything. And they're the reasons we have the divisiveness that we have in this country. They're the reasons we have uh, so much um, uh, disparity in wealth and in possessions and in positions and in employment. When you have your very race, something for which you, of course, you know, you should never have to apologize because you did not choose it. But when you have your race constantly equated to evil, when you are made to feel guilty just for being born a Caucasian or, or basically just a non-black or Latino uh, minority, you can be Italian, you can be... You can be British, you can be uh, uh, just, I mean, virtually, you know, Russian, if you are not of, of a brown or black skin, you are called white and you are demonized in this culture today for being such. White people. There's a, there's a Netflix special We're about to start season two or season three. I don't know. It's called Dear White People, and it basically features minorities telling white people what's wrong with them and what's wrong with this country and why they don't understand and why white people can never understand what they're going through. There is a white guilt-spreading machine that is operating in this country, if not around this world. There is an attack on white people that leads sane white people, like you and me, to get a little bit defensive, to say, I'm not going to be ashamed for being white. And I'm not privileged to have what I have. I worked my A off to get what I have. How do we, how do we know that it's not about white skin? Because there are millions of white, impoverished, homeless people in this country or living in shacks in rural America. Whiteness is not some sort of automatic ticket to success and achievement and wealth. And so sane white people, when they keep you know, hearing the attacks on whiteness, in this woke 2019 culture of ours, we get defensive about it. We're not going to be ashamed of our color. We can't control our color. And we don't look down on anybody else for their color. Why do you look down on us for ours? But the next step is, of course, that this attack on whiteness leads insane people, like the shooter in um, El Paso, like the shooter at the black church in South Carolina, like shooters and other attackers who are just flat-out insane. It drives them into acting out in violent ways. I know that's not going to be a popular take, but I want you to understand, it is wrong for white people to generalize and demonize people who have darker skin than they have. It's wrong. It's bigoted. It's racist. Likewise, it is wrong and bigoted and racist for people who have darker skin to demonize and generalize about people who have lighter skin. It makes a lot of white people agitated and psychotic, mentally disturbed white people like the idiot in El Paso they take advantage, they find their reason, they find their excuse 
to commit these terrible crimes. We've got to stop the demonization of skin color in all directions. All directions. Black to white, white to black, white to brown, brown to white, and all ethnicities whose skin cannot be the determining or uh, defining factor. But there is a demonization of Asian Americans as well in this country by a lot of the the other minority uh, uh, races and ethnicities. They're demonized too because of their success. Must be Asian privilege. We need to stop that nonsense in all directions. And if we do, I think perhaps, just, just maybe, some of the nut jobs who are out there committing violent acts on these bases will be discouraged from doing so. Back after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Thirty-six. The Bob France Authority continuing on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Virtually every Democrat in the cesspool uh, of twenty twenty candidates has come out and blamed President Trump by name. Some have continued to blame actually Fox News by name for inspiring the El Paso shooter. Strangely, they are all dead silent on the motivations of the Dayton shooter. Less than twenty four hours later who, according to uh, reports out of Dayton, is a far-left Elizabeth Warren supporter who demanded socialism now and wasn't going to wait for it to be implemented and carried out his attacks of hate from a different point of view. Are presidential politicians, senators, governors, or anyone else to blame for the violent, murderous actions of psychopaths like these? No. But don't tell that to the left. They will dismiss the latter and focus on the former. They will dismiss the 24 mass shootings tallied up during the eight years of the Obama administration and claim that those had nothing to do with President Obama. But these shootings during the age of Trump are specifically related to him. They are dyed-in-the-wool, never-Trumpers, and they are they are going to do whatever it takes to continue to lift the level of hatred that they send in Orange Man Bad's direction. I was preparing for my show this morning, and I stumbled across this. I love The Federalist. I read The Federalist all the time, so it's not that much of a stumble. But I didn't expect to see this. But as soon as I saw the headline, I read it. Why it's wrong to blame Trump for the mass shootings. Trump does not have a monopoly on divisive rhetoric. It's time for the left to reckon with its role in sowing division and racial discord. The author of that piece at The Federalist is John Daniel Davidson, who I quickly sent a message to and said, I know it's short notice, but you could, could you come on and talk a little bit about what you wrote? And he was kind enough to say yes to that. John, thank you for your time. How are you, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me. John, I, uh, I don't like blaming Bernie Sanders for the, uh, what was his name, Hodgkinson, I think, Hodgkinson or something like that, who went, went out as a, an ardent Sanders supporter and tried to murder the GOP baseball team. Uh, I didn't blame Bernie for that. Uh, I didn't blame Barack Obama for the Pulse nightclub shootings. Why are so many willing to blame President Trump for the El Paso shooting? Oh, well, the Democratic candidates for president are willing to blame him because they think it'll get them votes and get them supporters and, and donors. Um, the urge, you know, among some, you know, supposedly respectable media types to blame Trump, 
I think stems from a kind of intolerance, the very same kind of intolerance they accuse Trump and Trump supporters of having, they, they also have. Look, Trump is divisive sometimes, but he's not the only one who's divisive. Trump is no more divisive in his rhetoric than a lot of the Democratic candidates for president and a lot of left-wing media commentators. Uh, it's time that we recognize that divisive rhetoric is all around we are saturated in it in this political moment in America right now. And that's not what we should blame for these shootings. The blame rests with the shooters. I uh, completely concur. Um, wh- why do you think it is that they are ignoring the, I don't know if it's a manifesto, it's more just a gathering of social media commentary from the shooter in Dayton, and I'm avoiding both of their names, by the way. Why, why do you, I mean, and I think we know the answer here, but maybe you can put it in better words and make me understand it better, but I don't understand how the media cannot call out the very same uh, critics of President Trump for the El Paso shooting in which white supremacy, according to his manifesto, was a big part of his uh, his ide- uh, ideology. Uh, he felt like the country was being invaded. People blame the president because that's the same kind of language the president uses. And I do, too, by the way. When thousands of people storm a sovereign nation's border, uh, that's an invasion as far as I'm concerned. But they're focused all on that, and they have virtually ignored the manifesto or the facts that we have found from the individual in Dayton. Um, why, why is the media letting that slide, John? Because it doesn't fit their narrative. Their narrative is that, is that President Trump is inspiring violent white nationalist terrorists to uh, launch these attacks. But that's why you don't hear anything about the political views, as you mentioned earlier, of the Dayton shooter. Uh, you know, he, he was obviously inspired by left-wing ideology. You know, and, and the El Paso shooter, to some extent, was as well. He, he is essentially a eco-fascist, which is what the Christchurch New Zealand shooter called himself. These people are often motivated by a mix of ideas and ideologies from both the right and the left. They often are anti-corporate. They are pro-environmentalist, in the case of the Dayton shooter, you know, pro-socialist, um, often anti-global and therefore anti-immigrant. So it's not accurate at all to say that this is a uh, exclusively right-wing uh, phenomenon or this is motivated by right-wing ideology. This is sort of a toxic uh, mix of right and left. Uh, and, you know, if it's being ignored, it's being ignored because it doesn't fit the media's narrative. When the president spoke uh, last half hour, we're talking to John Daniel Davidson. He is uh, a columnist and contributor for The Federalist. Uh, read it online at thefederalist.com. I'll make sure to tweet that in a few minutes. Uh, the president spoke and uh, talked about white nationalism, talked about white supremacy and the impact that it had in uh, the role that it played rather in El Paso. He also talked about the role of social media and the Internet in general. That was the focus of my first hour this morning, or a lot of it anyway. I feel like social media drives copycats to do these things. Internet fame is real. It can be addictive to some, and if you are not in the right state of mind, it can make you decide, well, if I can't get famous for being me, I'll be infamous. And they see that it worked for others before them, and uh, they say it's my turn. Do you agree that uh, that social media and the Internet more broadly has played a huge role in the surge of shootings that we have had over the course of the last 20 years? I think so. I think that's a fair criticism. You know, it's very obvious now that sites like forums like 8chan and 4chan have become havens for uh, shooters or people who want to talk about mass shootings or people who admire mass shooters. And I think it's time to start taking that seriously. 
you know, social media is not a positive force in general in, in our society. It's a isolating, destructive force. Uh, it, it, it doesn't bring people together. Uh, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, help people to understand one another better, which is what the, the great promise of social media was. And I think that it's time for our politicians and policymakers to start thinking seriously uh, about how to uh, control some of these spaces online. The same way we, we control ISIS propaganda or Al-Qaeda recruiting videos online. Uh, we need to take it seriously. And, and some are. Senator Josh Hawley has been talking about big tech and social media. Uh, but I think, you know, we have to be careful at the same time uh, and, and think about the First Amendment. And maybe instead of the government regulating these social media spaces on the Internet, uh, we can collectively call on the companies that run them to better regulate them and, and to better police these forums. How do you do that, though, John? I know it's a loaded question. You probably aren't prepared to answer, but how do you, how do you t- call on the social media companies to, to regulate these things when they are making mil- billions, really, hand over fist? These are some of the wealthiest people in the world. Jack Dorsey, who runs Twitter, Zuckerberg and his crew who run Facebook, and so on and so forth. And I don't know about how... Um, uh, uh, profitable, the 4chan and 8chan and those other ones are, but, but I mean, they're not going to change. This, this, their model is working perfect for their own, for their own, you know, uh, revenue generation. Yeah, I, I don't have a, a, an easy answer to that, and I don't think there is an easy answer to it. Uh, we do know that, uh, you know, in the past, new forms of technological communications, radio, television, we're pretty heavily regulated by the government, by the by the SEC, and I think it's time to start thinking about how we can get a better handle on regulating the the internet and regulating that form of communication. Our laws and our regulatory schemes uh, haven't caught up with the technology, uh, but I think you know more and more people are coming around to the idea that you know Twitter and Facebook and these other social media platforms aren't just platforms; they're, they're sort of like publishers, and they have a certain, uh, or they should have a certain amount of responsibility for what they publish. Um, And I think that's an important conversation, and we should keep talking about it, and and we should figure out, and I think we can figure out, a way to make uh, the Internet a safer place and and not uh, this haven for uh, delusional young men who have mass shooting fantasies. Um, we're talking to John Daniel Davidson, who writes for The Federalist. His uh, work today uh, is a very important one, headlined, Why It's Wrong to Blame Trump for the Mass Shootings. Um, if you are going to blame Trump, not you, but if, if, if a person is going to blame Trump for the mass shootings, is it not fair to then look back to the L.A. Times, I thought, did a really great job of this? Because, you know, the definition <coughs> excuse me, of mass shooting can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I've seen some uh, sites uh, saying uh, there have been 673 mass shootings. You know, well, if a mother shoots her two kids, well, it's multiple victims. It's considered a mass shooting. But that's not what we mean by mass shooting. We mean strangers going out into public places or even in their schools. Excuse me again. Even in their schools, in this case of school shootings, they may they may not be strangers to all of the students there, but they're shooting and killing scores of people indiscriminately. Um, the L.A. Times uh, did a, a phenomenal job here of, of analyzing this and found eight such incidents while Bill Clinton was president, eight such incidents while George W. Bush was president, 24 such incidents while Barack Obama was president, and now four, and I guess this would be five and six, uh, uh, now that Donald Trump is president. Um, 
if they're going to blame Trump on those uh, for these, then then are they going to look back at the Obama presidency and judge it differently since 24 mass shootings occurred, quote unquote, and I don't see it this way, by the way, but under his watch? No, of course they're not going to do that because it goes against their narrative, which is that uh, Republicans and conservatives who uh, care about the Second Amendment and who don't believe in um, unconstitutional gun control legislation are to blame for this. And so the mass shootings that happened under Obama's watch, well, that's the fault of Republicans in Congress who wouldn't pass the Democrats' preferred gun control legislation. Um, look, blaming Trump is a partisan act. Calling Trump a racist is a partisan act. Uh, this is why, you know, you saw, you've seen all the Democratic presidential candidates kind of line up and call Trump a racist and, and, and place the responsibility for these shootings at his feet. It doesn't make any sense. It's not reasonable. It's no more reasonable to blame Trump for this, and I, this is what I argued in my piece today, mm-hmm. than it is to blame Islam for ISIS or al-Qaeda uh, or to blame the Koran, um, even though ISIS fighters and al-Qaeda terrorists cite the Koran and act in the name of Islam. Uh, you know, it, it's not reasonable, uh, and it doesn't make sense. Uh, and the only reason they're doing that is to uh, keep to their narrative that Republicans are bad because they don't want gun control. Um, John D- Daniel Davidson is my guest. Last thing uh, on this, you mentioned the presidential candidates all lined up to call him a racist, and you're right. But how much of a role does the media play? Because I, I watched those two Democrat debates last week. And both nights, Don Lemon sat there in the most casual voice possible, not asking, do you think the president is a white supremacist or a racist or a bigot? Asked it in the question as if it were a matter of fact. In one of them, he said, "Why yeah. do you think that? Why do you think that uh, people are more? Or, or do you think people are more concerned about the the uh, tr- uh, president's economy or the president's bigotry?" And then the second night, it was you know about the president's racist tweets, just as if it's been established. It's a matter of fact. The science is settled. The president's a racist and a bigot. And now, what are we going to do about it? That's coming from a member of the media, the moderator at a debate, who has an uh, ability, obviously, to impact who becomes the nominee for the Democrat Party and thus affect the outcome of an election. How big of a problem is the media in spreading that divisiveness? The media has a a huge responsibility for that. And again, the reason they do that is because it's in their best interest. You know, CNN and commentators like Don Lennon, that's their brand and and what they're selling is a a form of entertainment uh, and a form of wish fulfillment for their viewers who, who hate Trump or who are very anti-Trump and very anti-GOP, uh, they're giving them what they want. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, it's, they, they do it for ratings. They do it for entertainment. Uh, they, they repeat these things, as you say, as though they're fact, um, not because there's any kind of sort of news value to it, but because there's an entertainment value to it. Uh, and, and I think that they bear a lot of responsibility you know, again, if we're going to talk about divisive rhetoric, it's extremely divisive to call the president of the United States a racist and a bigot. Sixty-three million people in this country voted for him. Probably somewhere around the same number will vote for him again in 2020, whether he wins or loses. You are sowing racial discord and division in this country when you call President Trump a racist as a, as a matter of fact. And, I, and we, have to be, we have to be honest about that. Absolutely right, and that's kind of the point that I that I want to make here. If they're going to blame 
these shootings on the division within this country and then blame the president because he is a divider uh, your 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 that's why I wanted to, to that's why I messaged you because your piece is spot on he is no more divisive than anyone on the left and especially the american media which is specializing in dividing this country along racial lines um, John Daniel Davidson. That's the first piece I've read of yours. I'm going to make sure I follow you now on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle, uh, Daniel or John? I mean, at John D. Davidson. John D. Davidson. I want to encourage all of our listeners to follow you as well because it's uh, it's a great piece, and I look forward to reading more of your stuff. John, thanks very much for coming on. Great, thanks for having me. You got it. That's John Daniel Davidson from The Federalist. Follow his work there, as I mentioned online, at thefederalist.com, and follow his Twitter, uh, John D. Davidson. We'll be back right, right after this. It's the Bob France Authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 10.55, final segment of the Bob France Authority. You didn't have a ton of time for your calls this show because I had a lot of things I just needed to explain and monologue on, and uh, obviously a very good guest uh, from The Federalist. Uh, let's go to Beachwood, and is it Tabitha on AM 1420, The Answer? Hi. Tabitha? Uh, yes, here we are. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. You go have ahead. my book, Confronting the Deception. I'm going to speak quickly, and I want to read a little bit in, in sound bites. The key words for determining the value of today's education now is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they're not doing that in the schools. They're, they're dividing the children by their, instead of having learning experiences, opinions, and opportunities for a well-rounded education, uh, they're now uh, dividing the children with sexual orientation, gender, ethnicity, race, and disability. They're no longer saying meritocracy has any uh, they're not using meritocracy to invite children into the schools. It's strictly on diversity and inclus- and exclusivity. Um, so now they also have some schools where they report any conduct, speech, or prejudice that could be seen as intimidating, demeaning, degrading, marginalizing. It's becoming it's robbing the students of coping skills, and I think that's why they're re- they're going to the Social media. The first person. Tabitha, I'm losing your I'm losing your signal. It's breaking up on me. Um, uh, uh, can you can you repeat sorry. the last thing you just said? Uh, yes, the bias hotline. They're instituting the bias hotline in many schools, including, for example, Colorado, Colorado State University. Um, if anyone can report a conduct, speech, or that is seen as intimidating, the kids are losing their coping skills. Okay. They're complaining about everything, and they're using the uh, social. Yeah, your phone cut out again. I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but I do, I do have your point, and I want to follow up on it. And thank you for the phone call, Tabitha. And yes, I do have the book that you you were referencing as well. Um, Coping skills uh, certainly is a, is a you know an important part of this. Uh, in addition to mass shootings being on the rise in this country, um, so is teen suicide. The same types of teenagers or young you know millennials um, who are you know committing these acts against themselves and committing these acts against other people have something in common. They are being raised at a time when they are. 
not being taught coping skills. They do not have strong family support. Uh, and again, I'm speaking in a wide, with broad strokes here. I guess I'm painting with broad strokes because of the massive number of American children who don't have two parents in their houses. They aren't being raised with the ability to deal with, with, um, with pain, with uh, sadness, with depression, with the problems that all kids, like she said, coping mechanisms, coping skills. They're they're not being taught the right things and how to deal with these things, and eventually they end up lashing out in violent ways, either against themselves or against others. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, we own this. We're doing it wrong in America. We have created social media and allowed it to raise our children. We have created the Internet, allowed it to educate our children. And we are not there to counter or provide context for all of those things with our children. And those, to me, are the far, far more important core issues here than racism or uh, political ideology or political rhetoric or anything of the sort. I thank you so much for the call. That is all the time that we've got. You're going to get a lot more great analysis of the terrible shootings over the weekend from Mike Gallagher, who's coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.